The market doesn't joke around, so why would you? Get serious. Choose Tasty Trade. Tasty Trade gives you the tools you need to make smarter moves. Dig into data with advanced charting, track profit accurately with order chain trackers, see risk clearly with curve analysis, and trade with low-capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more. All on one platform. No wonder serious traders choose Tasty Trade. Join the club, genius. Tasty Trading is a registered broker-dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC. I'm Scott Wapner, and you're listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast, the most profitable hour of the trading day. We record this live weekdays at 12 Eastern. Listen in. All right, John, thanks. Welcome to the Halftime Report. I'm Scott Wapner. Front and center this hour, two major stories, both impacting your money. Apple approaching $3 trillion in market cap and the Fed's critical decision this week. We're going to debate how all of it impacts the market's road ahead and, of course, your money. Joining me for the hour today, Brenda Vangelo, Steve Weiss, Joe Terranova, John Najarian, the co-founder of MarketRebellion.com. Let's check stocks, as we always do. We're coming off the best week since March, starting kind of a whimper. They're lower across the board, decidedly so. The Dow's down more than three, let's call it 320, uh, 0.89%. S&P's down three quarters of 1%. NASDAQ's under some pressure today, down nearly 200. 141 is the yield on the 10-year note. We have the Fed well, likely beginning of turn in policy. That meeting starting tomorrow. We've got the virus, Omicron variant, still a big global concern especially with some of the commentary guys out of the U.K. I just showed you what the market was doing, Weiss, and uh, you know, one of the comments from you to our producers jumps out to me today before we get to Apple and the other news. You're holding 25% cash. It's larger than normal. You think we're going to get a better entry point? Yeah, and I've been holding that cash for a little bit of time. And look, to me, the market was you know, just ignoring the fact that the Fed is going to uh, – increase their path towards tightening. And while some may disagree, I look at doubling the tapering as a tightening of monetary policy, not just a rise in rates. So I've been raising the cash I mentioned for a while. I'm looking for to deploy it. Uh, it's a market where, in my view, you have to be much more selective going forward. And I think we'll get the opportunity. Look, markets do go up during tightening cycles. But this is just not your normal cycle that we've seen with money being so free for so long. It's still going to be free for a long time. But at the same time, you still have companies that are just unreasonably valued. And that could lead to further dislocation in the market. So I'm not looking for down 20 percent, but we've seen some stocks down 20 percent and under the radar. And so very troubling signs underneath the market averages to me. So that's why I think I'll get an opportunity. If I don't, I'm happy to pay up a little bit. But I've never bought into the all-in rally and still don't now. All right. Um, all right. So let's, let's pivot and talk about Apple, because that's what I really want to get to uh, first and foremost. We got within 75 cents today of a $3 trillion market cap for Apple. Uh, it speaks to one of the stocks that just hasn't gotten hit like, like a lot of the others have. And it's been on a steady rise for the last few weeks, 182.13 is the 52-week high. It did touch that today. And we're pushing on the door, Dr. J, of $3 trillion in market cap. As I said, we got within 75 cents. You see a tremendous amount of activity in Apple, I'm told. Yeah, absolutely, Scott. I mean, this is the heaviest trade we've seen maybe this year. And it's had some big days where we've had a million or two million contracts traded on the call side. And yet in the first two hours of trading today, the 180 calls, the 182.50 calls, the 185 calls, 
all the way up to the 215 calls if you push out into time, Scott. Um, Is it all based on this upgrade over at JPM? Uh, I don't know if it's that or that it's a bit of a safe haven and people are thinking that it's just irresistible for it to trade over this $3 trillion market cap. But they are putting big bets down that the stock goes significantly higher. And, you know, Scott, I, I know you know both markets and athletes and sports. This is kind of like an athlete that was... Um, you know, the beginning of the season, either they sat out with a contract dispute or whatever. And since then, it's got fresh legs. Everything else is sort of tired, Scott. Um, but this one's certainly not. It is just running into year end. And, you know, just days ago, it seems we were in the one high 140s, uh, low 150s. And now today we pushed over 181. So, yeah, a lot of strength in this sky yeah. right now. Yeah, for real. I mean, it's been um, it's been a remarkable run. John, uh, John mentions this mm-hmm. call by J.P. Morgan today. They name it their top 2022 pick. They reiterate overweight. They raise the price target to what is now a street high two hundred and ten dollars. The former target was one eighty. And Brenda, John said something interesting. He used the word safe haven. Um, is that what this stock is? It's a defensive play, the primo defensive play, and maybe if not the, certainly one of. I think you could absolutely argue that. And even looking at the stock's performance this year, it really perked up during the summer um, when we had the Delta variant um, materialize and then followed by Omicron. So I I think this is a defensive name. that being said, I think the company can still grow, and it's likely that in the first quarter, their launch of the 5G SE phone will likely be well-received. It's an environment where costs are going up everywhere, so having a more reasonably priced iPhone um, could certainly fit the bill for a lot of consumers. But that being said, I would be leery about assuming a lot more multiple expansion here uh, for this name in particular. So I think if they do, the company does grow earnings at a faster than expected pace next year, then that could certainly contribute to further appreciation from current levels. But outside of that, I really do view this as being more of a defensive name, which I think it plays an important role in the portfolio for that reason. Joe, final trade last Wednesday uh, was this one. I guess it's the ultimate quality play, as you like to talk about. Gene Munster says that $3 trillion is a nod that Apple's best days are ahead of it, not behind it. He had made the case for Apple to reach 200 bucks in 2022. He says that's conservative now, 250. That's 38 percent higher than where we're at now. Yeah, and I and I and I say this with with zero degree of sarcasm. You're talking about the fifth largest economy in the world. That's what Apple is. And I want to step back for a second. They used to say that about California, I think. But but that's the the reality of of what it is. It's it's now exceeded India, the U.K. and France. But from the perspective of a portfolio manager, and I know Stephen's going to disagree on the innovation, but just think about this, Scott, in terms of asset allocation, right? Apple is actually an asset. And for a generation that's growing older and chasing yield and having to stay invested in equities far longer than they ever imagined because they're not getting the income from fixed income. Apple is the exact asset allocation that fixed the characteristics of the replacement for fixed income. So it's, it's the hybrid of both equities and bonds. 
and it provides the financial qualities that you described for ridiculous amounts of cash on the balance sheet, an incredible amount of free cash flow generation, double-digit revenue growth, profit margin expansion. This company is now to be thought of not as an individual equity, but as an actual asset. Yeah, I know you mentioned Weiss. Weiss likes to be a hater, right, Weiss, even though you're an owner. That's the thing. You hate what you own. <laughs> you know, Scott, I, I just look I just look for good to go to great. I'm not happy with staying in place. And I think well, Apple's I mean, technology good can to be go great. to great. Oh. You can't deny that. You're sa- what? It's been a great stock. It's been a great stock lately. But let's let's talk about the stock. It, look, lately, the innovation argument is, is a foolish one because they aren't innovating. Bottom line, they just don't innovate. They don't have to be a great company. Like I own Volkswagen. They didn't invent cars. They didn't invent EVs, but they're going to do a good job on it. So that's not my issue. With wait, the wait, wait. Hold I on before you get to the next the thing. Hold on before you get to the next thing. You, you just said sure. they don't have to be a great company. Like, are you you're suggesting no, I, 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 that, that that's what you said? Well, I could roll. No, back no, no. I misspoke. I they don't have to be. A, the, the, <laughs> you can roll it back. I misspoke. That's what you'll get out of it. So you should roll it back because that okay. doesn't often happen. OK. But what I'm meant to say was they don't have to be a great innovator to be a great stock. And that's what we're seeing. And it, I'm not going to say it's laughable, but sometimes you look at stocks, say, hey, these fundamentals are there and the stock price hasn't caught up here. You say. The stock price has moved up on what basis? On the same old basis, and it's a good one probably, that we're going to see the App Store continue to grow, even though growth has been slowing. We're going to see this new phone come out, even though 13, we don't know if it's a success or not. So look, it's a market stock. John's point, the point that he made that I agree with most, is that it's a safe holding. And until you have people say, don't ever sell, don't ever sell, more and more are going to buy it, and it speaks to the nervousness elsewhere. So... When you have J.P. Morgan come out and raise their target to the highest on the street, all it means is that you can't raise your target to where everybody else did. So you got to be the top place on the street. Yeah, but Gene, Gene, so Munster, look, Gene, Gene Munster is not beholden to some of the same, you know, uh, maybe the deals that, that some of what you're talking about with, with right. the standard Wall Street analyst. Right. Right. And he, he says he's too conservative and he says 250. So he's even higher than J.P. Morgan's 210. So it's easy to pick on the analysts, okay. but, pe- you know, there are other people who have high targets, too. Right. So let me pick on Gene Munster because I don't want to be, okay. you know, I don't want to pick on somebody and nobody else. To get to 250, what you're going to have to see is a market that's a lot higher, number one. You're going to have to see that multiple expansion because let's keep in mind their earnings haven't been growing that fast. They've been flat over the last couple of years. We saw the first hint of growth. So how do you get to 250 for a company that says nothing to anybody in the street and doesn't want anybody in company to talk to anybody? Gene Munster, I would submit, is not quite pulling this out of thin air, but pretty close because there's no basis for it other than that it's well, been a top performing he stock says, year after year. He says... It's in it's in anticipation for two new product categories for a company that doesn't innovate mm-hmm. uh, metaverse and autonomy that right. he says should increase okay. the multiple. Well, if they do come out with a car that will increase it because they're not going to spend their capex on a car. They're going to look to brand with somebody. We've heard those conversations before. Number one. Number two, when they do come out with metaverse, we see what it did to meta. It hasn't done a lot for the stock. They'll come out with another 
pair of, you know, with paired goggles, whatever. And uh, we've seen them. They look great, actually. Uh, sure, that'll help. But we need to see the growth continue. We need to see the main thing, which will be companies, telco companies, continue to subsidize the purchase of these $1,000 phones. So could it get there? Yes. Will it have to be the new products? Absolutely. But I then say multiple expansion is going to be very, I know, but very you difficult must be incredibly all-time high levels. You must be incredibly bullish, Apple, if you remain incredibly bullish, Corvo and Skyworks. Right? You can't have one without the other. Right? Uh, right? Well, yeah, not, not, a lot, not a lot of Corvo's business is in Apple, actually, uh, for Skyworks. Yes, it is. And, uh, you know, it was 70%. Now it's 50%. It's going lower. I still think the phones are going to sell. And with each iteration of the phone, the dollar content that Skyworks has in the phone goes up significantly. So I can have static phone sales and still have Skyworks grow their revenues through Apple. Joe, I'll give you the last word before we move. Yeah, well, I think Steve just completely dismissed everything I said on it being an actual financial asset. But I'm sorry, that's exactly what it ultimately has become. No, and I didn't. In terms I agree of with designing that. and constructing. In, in this terms of designing and constructing a portfolio, when monetary policy is about to change to the magnitude that it's going to, you want to buy a high yield bond, you want to buy an investment grade bond, or you want to buy Apple, which is basically the hybrid of all. I think the answer to that, we obviously know based on seeing a 25% rise quarter to date and 8% rise month to date. All right. So let, let's move again. We're watching the stock. 182.86 is where it has to get to for $3 trillion in market cap. As I said, it got about $0.75 cents there. And then it turned negative as the overall market started to sell off a bit. But there are other stocks I want to talk about as well. Um, more top picks. I mentioned mm-hmm. Apple's a top pick, J.P. Morgan. They also named a top pick Qualcomm, uh, theoretically out of the chip mm-hmm. space. New 52-week high today as well. Uh, Mr. All-In's been all over that. Jim Labenthal joining us on the phone right now. Hey, Jim, what do you, make of the, what do you think of this pick? J.P. Morgan. Hey, uh- 225, Scott, 22% upside. Yeah, I listen, I think the stock should be 210 right now. And, and I'm making this very simple. This stock deserves a 20 times multiple. It's at 17 times this year's earnings. We've got to remember it's a fiscal year that ends September 30th. So we really are in fiscal 22. But here's why it deserves a 20 times multiple. The stock's been held back by the perception that it's just a mobile phone company and that its fortunes are really tied to Apple. It is rapidly diversifying away from just being handsets. It's got automotive, which is going to get enhanced by the Vionier acquisition, and it's got Internet of Things. These business lines were about 22% of revenue last year. They're going to grow probably be about 24% this year. And I think they'll grow much more rapidly than the handset business and probably be close to 30% uh, of the revenue line in about three years. Uh, The growth in the overall earnings picture really uh, deserves that 20 times multiple. The PEG ratio, which is price to earnings to growth, is at 0.7. That's absurdly low. That's a way of saying that that 17 times multiple is just too low for the growth rate that you're getting. So I'll sum it up this way. Uh, You're going, this should be 210 right now. It should be 230 in six months when the analyst community, including me, start valuing it on fiscal year 23 earnings. All right, I'm writing down these numbers. I'm writing down these numbers. We're going to come back to you on that. And see, I mean, you, 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 you suggest uh, that there's likely to be. I a, wrote them down for you, Scott. Well, thankfully, it's on. It, we <laughs> record this anyway. You. Uh, you say there's likely to be a rally in the next few weeks as portfolio managers, quote unquote, dress up their portfolios by adding Qualcomm. I mean, they're going to dress it up by adding this one. 
Well, it's one of many that they can add, but yes. Um, I mean, you don't, you don't add just Qualcomm. You certainly add Apple, too, and I heard the, I heard the earlier discussion. Uh, but this is a beauty to show at year end. And also, uh, you know, you've got to figure that nobody wants to trim or sell this thing if you're taxable with three, three weeks to go uh, in this year. You don't want to give taxable gains this late in the year. I think also, you know, it's hard to see any bad news coming out in the next three weeks. Um, you've just announced the quarter about four weeks ago. You had the analyst day about three weeks ago. I mean, all the news flow is very positive right now. I don't see that changing, by the way, over the next six to 12 months, but I certainly don't see that positive news flow changing over the next three weeks. The analysts, this is likely to be a stock that the analysts fall all over themselves raising price targets like right. they've done with Apple, like they've done with NVIDIA. I hear you. I appreciate you um, being with us. I want hey, to move Scott, on. Jim Labenthal. I need a favor. Uh-oh. I need a favor. Please, if it, I, I if it involves favor. something related to Weiss, the answer is no. Oh, come on, man. You got to take him down. I got to spend an hour with him later this afternoon. I mean, you got to take him down. He's well, that's just your problem, pro- not mine or my viewers. We'll see you. We'll see you next time. <laughs> we'll see you next time. All right, Dr. J, you, you rolled up your existing calls in Qualcomm. I did, Scott. Um, love that conversation. But yeah, I did. Um, because that's what I do. Um, if the trade is working, um, I'm moving up from the 180s to the 185s to today to the 190s, I believe. Um, and that's because I want to stick with it. I don't want the calls that I've written to call it out, call it away from me. So I've bought back both my long, uh, both my shorts and have now started to ease those out um, because I think just like Apple, uh, as Jim actually said, I think this is another one of those things that uh, a lot of fund managers will want uh, into year end. All right. Next big stock to talk about, NXPI. Why? Because it's named a top pick, a top Mm -hmm. idea for 2022 at Cowan. Stephanie Link joins us now. Why? Because Mm -hmm. she owns it, outperforms the rating, price targets 265. That's 17% upside from here. And you bought NXP before and after Black Friday. Yeah, I did. It's the, this call is really on the electric vehicle market and the total addressable market. It's 287 billion market today, going to 1.3 trillion by 2028. That's a 24% CAGR. And why is it important to NXPI? 50% of their total revenues are auto. And the company just hosted an analyst day and they reiterated 11.5% growth in auto. However, they actually, on the EV piece, they guided 30% growth. And that's because they're taking market share and they see content wins and gains. But it's also an Internet of Things, an industrial play, where they reiterated 11.5% growth there. Markets only grow on five, so they're easily outperforming there. And contactless payments and mobile is growing 10%. That's what they expect to grow. And the market's only growing 3%. So they are really doing a very, very good job. Plus, you have margin expansion, free cash flow generation per year of 2 to $3 billion. And they can buy back 6% of their shares outstanding between now and 2024. And that gets me earnings power, Scott of $16 a share. So, so you're looking at a 14 multiple on 2024. So you're making the case that you shouldn't take anything off the table after a 40% run this year because you think that it's going to be powerful next it may not be 40%. It may not be a 40% winner next year, but you make the case as to why it can continue to go higher. 
Yeah, I mean, I like the secular trends, and they are outperforming. They're gaining market share. And as I said, margins can go a lot higher as they increase the content. And so this is just best-in-breed company. And I, I just don't, even if you want to uh, look at the multiple on next year's numbers at 21 times, that's still pretty reasonable. So stay patient. You buy these dips because, again, you have very powerful secular trends. Steph, appreciate seeing you as well. We'll see you back on the show. Let's move. Talk about another top pick, Amazon 2022 mega cap pick at Cowan. $4,500, the price target. That's 31% upside, and it's been a disappointment. It's only up 4.5% year to date. Brenda Vingello, what's the problem? Well, I think this company was clearly a beneficiary of the COVID environment, and they've had tough comparisons. But you know what? Next year, the comparisons get a lot easier. The company also invested a tremendous amount um, into uh, increasing their supply chain capabilities for the fourth quarter. So I think consumers are not going to be disappointed by their experience with Amazon uh, during the fourth quarter and will likely they'll gain market share as a result. And it probably means they're not going to have to spend as much next year um, on supply chain related uh, expenditures. So I think this is still a great stock. I think it's well positioned. Um, it hasn't performed well, as you noted, this year. And I think there is still a lot of opportunity here. Oh. So I would look to, to, to add to this name um, if I were a holder or potentially establish a new position. OK, well, we have to factor in a lot of things when we're thinking about the kinds of stocks we want to buy into the new year. The Fed is certainly front and center. On that note, let's bring in senior economics reporter Steve Leisman, who sets <clears> us up <throat> for this big week. What's going to happen on Wednesday? What are they going to say? What is what does your gut tell you? $30 billion taper, so they'll double the pace of the taper, and that'll be quite a bit faster than the Fed tapered the last time it was uh, involved in this process, Scott. Um, and then I think uh, the key to watch is I think Fed Chair Jay Powell is going to start talking about the idea that the Fed was indeed talking about interest rate hikes and the idea that they're tapering more quickly in order to bring forward rate hikes more quickly and that the spring is not a crazy time to be thinking about rate hikes. And the thing that we're thinking about now, Scott, is uh, there's your uh, probabilities just uh, flashed on the screen. This is the way the market's priced. May more or less definitely by uh, June uh, is the, for the first hike. And then you have September for the second hike more or less. These are sort of probabilities that are out there. And then the market pricing in and out a third hike by December. That's the way the market's priced right now, Scott. And we'll see whether or not the Fed's own uh, forecast agree with that. Find that they're in such a tough spot here, Steve. Um, they've got to be worried about, I know Jay Powell is going to say that, you know, the, the virus and worries about that is a, is a downside risk. You got the headlines coming out of the UK. And in the same breath, he knows he has to move at this point. He's got inflation problems. And also, frankly, they have a credibility problem if they don't move. I think that's right, Scott. And, and I think we have to start thinking about how much the Fed is going to have to do. And I want to share with you a little preview of our Fed survey that comes out tomorrow. I want to give you show this one question we asked. We asked, will the Fed have to raise rates above neutral to slow the economy to get control of inflation? There's a bit of an argument out there, uh, as, as judged by this, Scott. Forty-five percent say yes, the Fed will have to slow the economy to get control of inflation. Remember, neutral's two and a half percent, maybe it's two and a quarter, somewhere in there. So uh, there are some hawkish folks out there that think that what we're seeing now is just the leading edge, perhaps, of more hawkish policies to come uh, if the Fed does not get control of inflation. I want to know what the, you know, Steve Weiss, I mean, you know, it's the, the survey says that. Kramer says you have to expect a more. This is what he says in his investing investing club. You have to expect a more harsh statement and the beginning of a tougher time being long. 
Steve Weiss. I mean, that's the word from from Kramer. You you heard what Leesman says is likely to happen. He gave us a little uh, teaser on the survey, which is going to be fully revealed tomorrow. More hawkish environment. There's no other way to state it. How's the market going to deal with all that? You know, I, I agree with both of them. That is the case and why I'm sitting in cash. Look, the market, I believe, is going to have a knee-jerk reaction down. And what you're seeing today with yields coming down in the 10-year and with lots of uh, economically sensitive stocks uh, you know, under pressure, I mean, take a look what freight's done. Take a look what retail's done over the last week or so, that, uh, that the market's not so sure that the economy is going to keep going as strong as it has been. So will these rate increases, will the tapering then take the economy slower than, than <clears throat> it should? And that's the issue. And that's why you have to be careful, as Kramer says, and as I believe, and pick your spots very, very selectively. Well, Steve Leisman, what are the chances do you think that we're going to end up, how, however slight you, you think these chances may be, I still like to know what they are, that we end up using Jay Powell and Paul Volcker in the same sentence at some point? Um, you know, it's not uh, crazy, and I think you just did it, Scott. Technically, so I don't. I think uh, you, you you're not the first, but <laughs> yes. but maybe one of the most prominent yet to do it. Um, and and I think that's where we are right now. Which is, if you ask me, what the biggest risk out there is, it's that the Fed has to do more than the newly priced market is, has already priced in uh, to get control of inflation. When I look at the numbers on Friday, Scott. I see more to come from a whole bunch of different. I think that housing number is going to keep accelerating. I don't think they have control of the vehicle market yet where they have inventories back up. Um, I think that the whole wage spectrum of higher wages has yet to work its way through inflation. I, I'm, I was very sanguine about inflation earlier on as the supply chain disruptions uh, persisted and people did not come back to the workforce. I've started to get more concerned about it. And I'm, I, I don't know where inflation is going to be in the summer, but I think it's going to be above where the Fed thinks it ought to be. And I think at that point they may have to do more. It's like the, it's like the president's problem, too. Right. He's got I mean, it, it just reflects like the same sort of problem. He's got a booming stock market. Economy's going good. Uh, inflation's a problem and his approval ratings uh, are in the can uh, as a result of that. Joe, you have a question for, for Leisman? I, I- I certainly do. Um, we're really not talking about the yield curve. So from everything that, that Steve is suggesting, Steve, do, do I have to now worry about introducing the word inversion once again back on the halftime show? Um, I, I think that you do. I think that that's a possibility. First of all, the behavior of the long end of the yield curve has confounded many, many of the smart people that I like to talk to. They don't quite get it. Um, the Fed is going to be moving up over time. And I guess the best bet right here, Joe, is that they think the, 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 the Fed is making a big mistake. But I can tell you what the Fed thinks, which is that they don't think that this economy needs zero interest rates. And when you look at what the real Fed funds rate is, which is you discount it or you subtract the inflation rate out, of it, it's minus 6.8 percent. And that's lower than even it was under Volcker, which is to say that as inflation has increased, and the Fed has stayed where it's in. It's gotten easier. It's, got, it's, it's pushed on the accelerator more. The Fed is more stimulative now than it was before, so it has more work to do. All right. Leesman, we'll leave it there. Busy week for you. Uh, I'm sure we're going to talk okay. to you again multiple times. We're going to take a quick break. We'll come back. We have big buys and sells from the committee. We'll do it next.
Old Dominion Freight Line was built on keeping promises. With an industry-leading on-time delivery record and low claims rate, we keep promises better than any other LTL freight carrier because we treat every shipment like it's our most important one, which means we do the little things right so that we can keep our promises and you can keep yours too. That's what drives us. To learn how OD can help your business keep its promises, visit odfl.com. Old Dominion, helping the world keep promises. B2B selling is tougher than ever, and we feel your pain. If you're struggling to close deals, consider giving LinkedIn Sales Navigator a shot. This sales intelligence platform helps professionals like you engage high-value customers, drive higher revenue, and increase sales performance. Sales Navigator also guides you in targeting the right buyers, highlights key signals such as job changes or which accounts you should prioritize, and uncovers hidden hot prospects so you can find those buyers that are most likely to convert. Fueled by LinkedIn's 1 billion member platform, Sales Navigator gives you the most up-to-date first-party data, enabling you to unlock conversations with the people that matter. Right now, you can try LinkedIn Sales Navigator and get a 60-day free trial at linkedin.com slash halftime report. That is linkedin.com slash halftime report for a 60-day free trial. Let LinkedIn Sales Navigator help you sell like a superstar today. Just go to linkedin.com slash halftime report and get started. Welcome back. I'm Rahel Solomon, and here is our CNBC News update at this hour. South Korean President Moon Jae-in saying that the U.S., North Korea, China, and his country have agreed in principle to declare a formal end to the Korean War. The war effectively concluded with an armistice in 1953. President Moon hopes that this move will help lead to the denuclearization of North Korea. The 70th Miss Universe was crowned on Sunday with India's Hernaz Sandhu taking home the coveted spot. And Miss USA, L. Smith, placed in the top 10. The pageant was held in Israel amid Palestinian-led calls for a boycott and the emergence of the Omicron variant. Kim Kardashian now one step closer to becoming a lawyer after passing California's baby bar exam. She announced on her Instagram account that she passed the first-year law student's exam on her fourth try. The news comes two years after Kardashian first expressed her interest and pursuing a law degree. And the Hollywood Foreign Press Association announcing nominees for the Golden Globes. And that's despite widespread criticism last year for the group's lack of diversity and self-dealing. Questions still remain, including which actors will participate and where it will air. That's after the ceremony was dropped from NBC's 2022 TV schedule. You're now up to date. Scott, I'll send it back to you. Rahel, appreciate it. Rahel Solomon. All right, the investment committee making some moves. Joe, hitting you first. You bought CrowdStrike. Should we say you bought CrowdStrike back? I thought you owned this before. So in and out of CrowdStrike several times throughout the year, and I know that both uh, Stephen and and John as active traders, they tend to keep track of how they're doing in individual stocks. If your trade success rate is high, then you'll continue to trade around that stock. If your success rate is low, you're going to put it in the penalty box. So I've done a good job trading around CrowdStrike. I was out of it at a much higher level. I think most of, I think most of the liquidation and the correction that has unfolded here as longer duration assets are being sold off, that's been absorbed by CrowdStrike. I think, and I said this last week to you, I think fundamentals matter 
for this company. Cybersecurity and the contribution that it's making matters. So very willing to step in here with the stock down around 200 and reinitiate the position. And that's exactly what I've done. Yeah, about 100 bucks off of the high. I'm looking right now, 52 weekers, 298. We're at 198. We'll, we'll call it there. So, by the way, your whiteboard's been empty for a long time. I don't know what's up with that. Is that maybe that's a statement in and of itself. Um, you've had nothing on there for a while. Well, I can't barely see it. American Express, you sold it. <laughs> I did. Why? So, American Express, I increased, uh, Scott, I increased my exposure to financials back in September when we were kind of climbing that wall of worry. Uh, September 23rd is the actual date of the purchase for American Express, 163. October earnings, the stock got up to 189. I don't like to turn winning trades into losing trades. In addition, as we're seeing this yield curve, which I discussed with Steve Leisman before, continue to flatten, that is having a negative impact on financials. So I just have too much exposure in financials. This was a leading candidate to liquidate, as I said, because from a profitability standpoint, you don't want to see that trade turn into a losing one. And in reality, I think upon liquidating, uh, it actually will be a small loser. The net net of all my moves ultimately is going to be that I've raised a little cash here today. Are you, are you, are you making a more blanket statement about financials in general beyond American Express? You're, you're worried about rates, the yield curve because of what the Fed is going gonna, is gonna to do? Well, I, I think my actions are, are more what I would call a reaction to a lot of what I'm seeing here in terms of the way financials are pricing. But, uh, yes, I think there has to be a degree of concern as you have these two forces that the Federal Reserve is going to have to digest and therefore uh, align a policy accordingly. It's inflation that doesn't appear to be as transitory as it thought. And then it's a yield curve which is significantly contracting. Uh, the, that's, a, that's a dynamic where one of those forces is ultimately going to have to give. And i got to tell you, uh, I feel badly for the chairman right now. He's in a very challenging position. Well, are you worried about the yield curve inverting? I think you, without question, have to be, for sure. All right, we'll, we'll see there. Um, you sold Chenier Energy Partners and Chenier. Yeah. I couldn't, I couldn't protect uh, that one, Scott. That was just a, a poor trade that only got worse. Natural gas is down 32% quarter to date. Uh, unfortunately, uh, there was a lot of bleeding in both of these positions. They are now in the penalty box. And if I talk about natural gas on the show in the next three months, do me a favor and do what you do to uh, Stephen Weiss off and cut my mic. <laughs> Speaking of Weiss, I just want to get back. Hold on. I just want to get back to this comment about the, the financials. And, and it seems to be a, a, a switch in the way that that Joe is going to view that sector. Yes. Because of Fed. Steve, um, do you want to take that on for, for a moment? Because I think that's a bigger sure. deal that we need to delve into a bit. This idea that the Fed may invert the yield curve and we could have some issues to deal with. And and what seems Okay, you could say, well, the Fed's going to raise rates. Maybe rates, the 10 is going to start going up. You figure rates uh, moving higher is going to be good for the banks. And Joe is taking a, a different way of looking at that. Right. Well, if you do invert the yield curve, it's not going to be good for the banks for sure, because then they'll lose the spread. Well, for sure. They'll start costing money. 
Yeah, um, I'm, I'm not really worried about that. I think it's a moment in time. I'd be worried about it for any period of time. And, and frankly, I'd be sitting in a lot more cash if the yield curve was inverted and stayed there for a while, because it doesn't always lead to recession, of course. But the market won't look at that. It'll say it definitely always leads to recession, again, despite the fact that it doesn't. So I think we'd have bigger problems if that were the case. But it goes back to what I was saying before, that there's uncertainty about the continued economic growth in the economy. Yeah. And is the Fed tightening, even though they should, when we're seeing this virus come back and really decimate well, countries that's why, like the U.K. and what it's doing here? That's why we suggested with Leesman and, and Joe just said, I mean, they're in a tough spot. They are. Let's take a quick break. John's unusual activity is coming up. Plus, ETF inflows topping a trillion dollars for the first time ever. We'll tell you the funds you need to watch. We'll do it next. The spirit of performance defines Acura. And now it's electric. Introducing the all-electric ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. While what powers their cars may change, the energy that makes Acura never will. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system and up to 313-mile range on a single charge and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is everything they said electric could never be. It was built with the driver in mind, just like Acura's been doing since the beginning. We could talk all day, but the only way to experience this electric performance is to drive it yourself. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. What does it mean to be rich? Maybe it's less about reaching a magic number and more about discovering the magic in life. At Edward Jones, our dedicated financial advisors are the people you can count on for financial strategies that help support a life you love. Because the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Learn more about our comprehensive approach to planning at edwardjones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. And welcome to the ETF Edge portion of Halftime Report. I'm Bob Pisani. The ETF world in 2021 was dominated by three topics. Crypto and the hope for a Bitcoin ETF. ESG and thematic tech as Kathy Wood rose to superstardom. Inflows hit historic records, likely close to $1 trillion when it's all tallied up. With total assets under management now approaching $8 trillion. What will excite ETF investors in 2022? Let's talk to a man I call the master of thematic tech investing, Jay Jacobs, Senior VP at Global X. Jay, I look at ETFs with the biggest inflows in 2021. I see your name all over them at Global X. Your infrastructure ETF, your lithium and battery ETF, your uranium ETF, your cybersecurity ETF, all among the biggest inflows of the year, $800 million to $3.5 billion. I know it's early, but what areas are exciting investors going into 2022? Well, Bob, what we like to look for in thematic investing is inflection points, where several converging themes come together to make the overall adoption of a very powerful theme accelerate. Where we see that happening right now is in robotics and artificial intelligence. You have low interest rates, you have rising labor costs, you have disrupted supply chains. We think we're going to be in the golden era of robotics adoption in the United States and beyond. We're actually forecasting growth of industrial robots from 16 billion to 37 billion over the next 10 years, with 2022 being that key inflection point. 
We're going to talk about robo and ETF edge in a few moments. And yet, when I look at the numbers, most of this $1 trillion in inflows went into plain vanilla index ETFs. The S&P 500, huge inflows. NASDAQ 100, huge inflows. Russell 2000, big inflows. Less than 5% actually went to the crypto, the ESG, the thematic tech, what we were all talking about, those big three topics. Is it good news or bad news, Jay, that the average investor seems intent on buying the broad market rather than picking a lot of individual thematic winners or losers? I think inflows are really helpful in showing how people are building portfolios today, not the portfolios of yesterday. And if you look at the breakdown, actually about 7.5% of inflows into U.S. equities went into thematic funds, which are basically, in a lot of cases, U.S. equities. So it's showing that people are changing their portfolio construction. They're still using those low-cost, passive, core pieces of their portfolio, but they're supplementing it with thematic, ESG, sustainable funds in the satellite positions as well. All right, much more on where the money will be going for ETF investing in 2022. It's coming up on ETF Edge. Jay will be joined by Alex Shepard from ETF Action. That's etfedge.cnbc.com at 1 p.m. Eastern time. Halftime back right after this. All right, Dr. Jay, what do you got? Unusual activity today. Well, Scott, uh, both of these that I'm about to give you are much further out than uh, a lot of the ones that we've cited over the past month or two. These, the first ones, are June 170s in Expedia. So Expedia, obviously travel, um, people believing that travel picks up after Omicron and the rest uh, kind of becomes hopefully something in the rearview mirror, Scott. Stock was 162. They're buying $8 out of the money June 170s, like the trade. But like I say, I jumped in at a lower strike, and I'll sell higher strikes as we approach that 170. Next one, Bloomin' Brands, B-L-M-N. Um, this one, the stock was $18.50 or 60 cents. They were buying 12,000, so that's a big trade, 1.2 million share equivalent of the April 2250 calls. Um, again, I bought at the monies and will hope to sell those higher strikes against it as it rallies. But I like both of these, and both of these, it's not a big rush to address that time decay because they're so far out into the future, Scott. All right, Doc, thank you for that very much. Rivian's only delivered a few vehicles. It's already beat out the big automakers, though, for Truck of the Year. Comes ahead of the earnings this week, the EV trade. That's next. All right, let's bring in CNBC auto reporter Phil LeBeau with a big stock mover in the EV space today. And it is what, Phil? Rivian. Rivian is the Motor Trend Truck of the Year. Not Rivian, but the Rivian R1T, the company's first vehicle, the all-electric pickup truck. Uh, and that's one reason why the stock is getting a bit of a pop today. Now, when you look at the R1T, uh, it beat out the Ford Maverick. It also beat out the GMC Hummer, uh, SUT. So you've got some competition there, and this is a nice feather in the cap for Rivian. They have delivered some of the R1Ts that have been ordered uh, this fall. They haven't given us an exact number of how many they have delivered to date. We'll likely get that on Thursday, as well as an updated number in terms of reservations. Stood at just under 50,000 when the company went through its IPO. And again, that is on Thursday when the company repeats reports its complete Q3 results 
Uh, they're not, the numbers are not likely to be terribly different than what we saw at the IPO, but we will hear from CEO RJ Scaringe. And again, the focus is going to be on what are we seeing with reservations and what are we seeing in terms of deliveries. Speaking of deliveries in terms of the EV space, a lot of attention being focused on what will we see at the end of this year. Take a look at Ford, GM, and Lucid. And as you look at all three of these companies, you've got either deliveries that have begun in the case of Lucid or in, in if obviously Ford with the Mach-E are out there already. And then with GM, before the end of the year, they are expected to deliver the first GMC Hummers. And finally, when it comes to EV news, I'm sure you've heard about this today. Time's person of the year is Elon Musk. Not a huge surprise here, given the year that he has had, not just with Tesla, but SpaceX, SpaceX as well. And also keep in mind, as you take a look at shares of Tesla, they've got a couple of gigafactories that are primed to open very soon. You've got the one just outside of Berlin, and then you've got the one that is just outside of Austin, Texas. Once those come online, guys, you are likely to see a, a big surge in volume, theoretically, in terms of deliveries in Europe. And then with Texas, you've got the Model Y production for the eastern half of the United States, so there'll be an increase there. So it'll be interesting to see what happens with the delivery numbers, uh, not only in the first half of next year, but all of next year. Yeah, for sure. Phil, thank you. Phil LeBeau? On the EV beat for us. Dr. J, you own Rivian Calls still? I do, Scott. Um, feeling better about it. Uh, you know, Jimmy, of course, Jimmy Labenthal had a great play. And I hope you covered on those puts, Jimmy, because uh, he was feasting on those puts, Scott. But uh, as the stock has come back, the calls have uh, done nicely for me. So I, I intend on holding this one for a while. And I hope that's great news when they report the sales so far, Scott. But you are all over EVs in general. You've got Ford calls, Lucid calls, General Motors calls, and Tesla calls, and Fisker calls. Exactly. So uh, uh, I, I am a real believer in the space, and I think this will be something that uh, these will be an entire sector to watch for the next several years. Joe, you prefer Ford. I do. It's, it's, it's more of a, a reliable play uh, on EVs, same strategy. Uh, but, you know, Scott, I just can't get my arms right now around reaching towards a Rivian, which ultimately at some point I will, just with the way the market mood seems to be in the month of December, just with this elevated volatility, crypto assets coming under pressure, hyper growth names. I just don't think it's the right environment to take that outsized risk. Is that what, so, I mean, you're speaking broadly against uh, all sort of higher risk assets than, than it sounds like, right? Yeah. Oh, I, I, maybe more speculative it, if you want to insert that word it, along with high risk. I, I, yes, that's, 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 that's very accurate. Someone texted me at the beginning of the show. I looked angry. Uh, maybe it's because I'm back from Florida, but I think the market's in the same way where it's got these mood swings in December. I'm not really comfortable. I can't wait till we get to earnings in January. I think earnings in January is going to give the market the comfort blanket it needs. Yeah. All right. We'll step away. We'll come back. We'll do final trades on the other side. Do not miss that man right there. Mike Wilson, Morgan Stanley, chief U.S. equity strategist. He is with us tomorrow at noon Eastern. A lot of talk about Fed pivots. He's made a little bit of a pivot of late. We'll talk to him about his market outlook for the remainder of the year and into 2022. And we can't wait to do that. We've been waiting a while for that. And I'm looking so much forward to that. All right. Steve Weiss, final trade. GXO Logistics down 8% on, on insider sale and a downgrade by Loop. Guess what? 
Loop upgrades the stock today to a buy. This stock's compellingly cheap. All right. A special company. Joe Terranova. Scott, we had the long-awaited breakout in AbV up to 127 right now. If you followed along with me, you want to put a stop at 120, that's fine. I'm staying in for the long term here. This stock is cheap, PE and high double digits. All right, Brenda. Uh, PayPal. This is one of the most innovative companies within the payment processing industry. There's been a huge expectations reset. No one's going to be buying this to window dress into year end. Um, So I think we revisit it during the new year. Doc, I need a quick name. Peloton, Scott. Big bounce back coming. Peloton. All right. Good stuff. Thanks, everybody. The exchange starts right now. You've been listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast. You can always catch us live weekdays at 12 Eastern, only on CNBC. People today can spend half their lives over 50. So it's good to be financially ready for what's important to you as you get older, like a family vacation. Or starting your dream business. Welcome to Connie's Coffee. How may I help you? AARP's trusted financial tools can help you plan for whatever your future holds. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Start planning today at aarp.org slash money tools.